Hey guys, Ivor Margerison here, and this is the Do New Podcast, dedicated to the exploration of unique hobbies, activities, and occupations. If you're interested in more of the project, be sure to check out my video series, Do New 52, where I'm traveling around the world for a year doing 52 different things for the first time. It's on YouTube, it's on Instagram, just search my name or head over to donew.org. With that, let's get into the show. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Do New Podcast. <laughs> Do new. All right, guys. So today I am here with Michael Vlamis, who plays Michael Guerin in the hit TV show Roswell, New Mexico. Uh, first off, Michael, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, Ivor. What's up, guys? <laughs> so before we uh, kind of you know get into your journey, your experience, uh, the world, the life of an actor, can you give us just a kind of a quick rundown on like Roswell, your current show, your role in the show itself for people who maybe don't know anything about it? Yeah, definitely. So we just uh, wrapped up our first season of Roswell, New Mexico, which is a new CW show, uh, 13 episode first season, and it's based on Melinda Metz's book, Roswell High. And also, there was a TV show, and I think it was, uh, it was on from like 99 to 02 with uh, Catherine Heigl, Sherry Appleby, I think Colin Hanks was in there. But it was, another, it was another show based off Melinda Metz's books, and that was just called Roswell. Ours is Roswell, New Mexico. You know, we wanted to get a little fancy. Like but that. the, uh, yeah, so the show is pretty much um, our showrunner, Karina McKenzie's fresh take on, on the story. You know, it's the same world, same characters. But everything is different from the books and from the original uh, rendition of the uh, of the show. So it, it centers around this girl who has been away for ten years for uh, for reasons you you find out as the show progresses. But she comes back to her small town of Roswell, uh, New Mexico, and she's there to solve a, a murder mystery. You know what happened to what happened to her sister ten years ago, which sent her to leave town. And, you know, it turns out that uh, this conspiracy in town starts unraveling these aliens. I play one of the aliens, Michael Guerin, and there's two other aliens who are my siblings in the show. And it starts kind of, uh, we get outed and people start finding out about us. So it's kind of uh, the whole season is dealing with this murder mystery and also these aliens trying to protect their secret while also trying to help solve slash hide the... Uh, you know, the kind of, I guess the, exactly what happened with the murder, because I'm not saying they were involved. I'm not saying they weren't involved. <laughs> you have to watch, but, but yeah, man. So it's uh, it's definitely CW at its finest. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I, and I just uh, finished the, that first season just finished up. What was that? Just a couple weeks ago now? Yeah. Yeah. Just finished. And then uh, it's on Netflix right now. So May 1st, it went on Netflix. So oh, you can go binge it there. Oh, easy. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I finished up. Uh, yeah. Finished up the season um, along with it. And it was, it was quite the ride. It turned into quite, there's some twists and, you know, obviously no spoilers, but there's a lot going on. I actually enjoyed it. And now there is a, a second season coming, right? Yes, we have a second season coming. Um, yeah. That was the cool thing about the show is that the original show takes place in high school all the leads are in high school now we're 10 years later so it's kind of you know we still definitely hit that that early teen demographic that the cw you know kind of has ownership over on, on the tv space but 
Uh, we're also appealing to the older crowd, right? I mean, we're smoking weed in it. Um, we're having a lot of sex. You know, we've got fights. I've got telekinetic powers and pretty much just get angry and blow stuff up. So it's cool. It's a little bit more of an edgier version of Roswell. Yeah, definitely. I definitely felt that. You could tell there was, like you mentioned, some of those things kind of directed at that younger crowd, but it was still, um, yeah, I mean, I definitely reached across uh, age groups, I would say. Um, definitely with the sex, yeah. yeah with the sex. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so I kind of want to talk more about kind of get into uh, your role within uh, Roswell, kind of what that shooting experience, what that looks like for you. But let's kind of start from the beginning, kind of with a little bit of your story. When did you kind of first know that you wanted to be a telekinetic alien in a TV show? Like, when did that uh, first <laughs> Man. I never knew that, um, but what I did know is that uh, in, let's see, this was the beginning of 2018. I had been out in LA for six years almost, about five and a half years acting, you know, just audition after audition and just grinding and, and paying your dues and trying to get noticed and try to do work that is notable. And my acting teacher at the beginning of 2018, she told me that she had been coaching some actors going in to audition for this new show, Roswell, New Mexico. And she said she thought she, I would be a good fit for it. So she told me I should try to get an audition. Well, I hit up my, I have a great manager. I have great agents. And so they contacted casting and tried to get me in there. But casting said that I was more of a comedy guy and they didn't think I was right for the role. So call after call, they would not give me an audition. So it was like the final day before the, uh, it was the day before the final auditions that Karina McKenzie, our showrunner, was holding. And so they just sent me the, uh, the materials in the auditions, the two scenes that I had to do. They were each about like a four minute scene. It was a lot of material. And I just filmed those. Uh, I did what, what we call in the industry a self tape. So if an actor can't get an audition or maybe they're casting something in New York, but you live in LA, you do a self tape. So they give you the scenes. You put yourself on camera. It's just the actor in front of the camera with a friend or whoever behind camera filming you and reading the lines as the other character. So you are pretty much auditioning as if you were in the space with casting, but you're just doing it on your own. And then you send it in. And most of the time, casting companies will not take unsolicited material. <laughs> uh, so you have to get an audition. Well, I didn't have an audition. So we just sent this tape in and my manager just called and called and called until someone at his company was like, dude, you're going to ruin our relationship with this casting office. Like this guy better be legit. And he was like, trust me, dude, trust me. So finally they watched the tape. We sent the tape in around like 6 PM. We, uh, they watched the tape. They called my manager. They wanted me to come in an audition and meet the showrunner in the morning. So he called me around like, I don't know, 930. And uh, can we swear on here or no? Oh, yeah, you can swear. Oh, great. Well, you know, uh, the swear is coming. So if you guys want to hear him up. say, was that a time? Did you need to swear? Uh, <laughs> okay, yeah. Well, when he, when he called me, I was like, I was like, we have a good, we have a good relationship. And I was messing around and I was drinking. And I was like, what's up, you handsome motherfucker? And he goes, uh, are you drinking right now? And I was like, uh, yeah. And he's like, well, I was out celebrating a, an indie movie I had just done. And he goes, well, go home. Roswell, the, they, they loved you. They want you to come in an audition tomorrow. So I was like, yeah, yeah, for sure. So normally I would go home. You know, I'm, I lived a life where I've been very much in control of my life with, you know, from diet to uh, exercise to just work ethic to just how I treat people, whatever, you know, I, I, I like to do things a certain way. And at this point in my life, I was kind of, um, I was a little down in the dumps, dude, coming off a breakup and nothing really mattered in life. So 
I felt confident with myself as an actor, didn't care that I even had the audition, was just like, yeah, I mean, this is really cool, but whatever, I'm living my life for me, I'm not, I'm not stressing over things as much anymore. So I stayed out till four in the morning, got cheese fries at a diner down the street, actually Mel's Drive-In, which is featured on the opening of the Entourage TV show. Um, left my car at the bar, Ubered to the audition in the morning, and two more auditions later, you know, they had me do the scenes in front of 30 executives at Warner Brothers, which is called the test deal. When you get a test offer, uh, you go into the studio a lot of the times and you literally have to audition in front of 30 people in suits who run the company. It's one of the most nerve wracking things you could do. I think you're like in scene for that. Or like, are you, or is it still just you in front of people talking or is it like a scene they set up for you or, I mean, I wish it was. If it was a scene that you can actually have some chemistry with somebody. Instead, no, it's a cast director <laughs> sitting behind camera again, just reading dialogue to you, and you're just acting your best performance in that setting with 30 people in an auditorium staring at you. And so, yeah, you know, that's a long story, but it was a very, you know, unconventional route to booking this show. But, um, but yeah, a week later, you know, they had seven days to tell me if I booked it or not. And they waited those full seven days, and then finally they called and they said I got it. And you know, a few, uh, I think it was about a week later, I went flew to Albuquerque, New Mexico, where we shot the pilot in March of uh, 2018, and then came home after a month of shooting. And we found out the show got picked up. And then what happened was uh, we went to Santa Fe, New Mexico. Thank God, because Santa Fe is much better than Albuquerque. Sorry, anyone from Albuquerque. That's just how I feel. And we spent about six months in Santa Fe shooting the next 12 episodes. So that, that first one, you went to Albuquerque, and that's when you shot the pilot. You shot that first episode, is that right? Yeah, you shoot that first episode because uh, what happens is the the studios, you know, they don't know what they should be banking on, right? So they'll finance a bunch of pilots. They'll come back. They'll play those pilots for test audiences, like private test audiences. And then depending on what does the best amongst those audiences – that's what they decide to order two series to actually be on TV. And they gave us an order of 13 episodes total. And you know, that's what we ended up doing. And now we've got a second season. So everything's been going well. Gotcha. Gotcha. And I, and so I want, and I want to hear kind of more about like getting into getting, when you got to Santa Fe to set up to shoot that next season, I think a lot of people are very probably curious of what that looks like just for an actor day to day. But, but prior to that real quick, you talked about those five years being in LA before this, uh, random drunken night of cheesy fries where you picked up (laughs) and uh being out there for those five years what did that look i mean did you when you first got out there did you have connections did you have did you know people or have a family member like what's it look like when first starting out as an actor in la no i didn't uh man i didn't know anybody um (laughs) i i wish i did god i used to hate on everybody who used nepotism to their advantage because i didn't have it but then once I kind of accepted that and knew that that's just how the game works and just kind of like let go of that chip on my shoulder a little bit, started befriending more people who were very connected, you know, and, and these people used me in their short films and stuff and were very grateful for my talent that I brought to their projects. So I kind of found myself in this, this new bubble of like talented, creative people. And, you know, it, it really is a town where when you get out here, you just have to be as good as you possibly can. And Some people may not be good enough, but a lot of people are good enough, which is the surprising thing. There are a lot of talented people out here. You'll just maybe never hear of them because they didn't hustle hard enough or they just weren't lucky, didn't get that one shot, like that one role that's literally named your name and was the same age as you and was going through everything that you're going through at the same time in your life, which is pretty much what this 
Michael Guerin character is on, on Roswell, the show I'm on. So, you know, I got really lucky, but those first five and a half years were just like, oh, it was such a hustle uh, to the point where, I mean, I don't even know if I've told this story in an interview or anything yet, but, you know, I, uh, I was making up fake names and, and pitching myself as I would pretend I was an assistant of a huge movie producer and I would call on behalf of the producer saying that the producer really believes in this young guy, Michael Vlamis, who uh, we think fits well with your roster. You should take a look at his materials and see if you want to represent him at your agency. And so that's what you were saying. You were saying, yeah, you got to check out this guy. <laughs> that's what you yeah, were dude, I made a fake name. I changed my voicemail. I made a fake email and I, uh, I had built a, a solid reel. So as an actor starting out, you really can't get anywhere unless you have some material on camera. And that doesn't have to be from movies. doesn't have to be from TV shows. It could be from student films, right? But it should be good quality and it should be good acting. And a lot of student films these days have, have both of that. So I was able to put a good demo reel together, showcasing different scenes of different short films I'd acted in. And I mean, I just blindly wholeheartedly believed in myself whether i should have or not is one question uh was i ready at the time when i first got out to la to just hit the scene without ever taking an acting class probably not but uh but i don't know man i think i think like grit and determination outweighs everything um obviously raw talent is something you you just got to be thankful for but honing that talent takes a lot of work and those five and a half years was me honing the talent and also just me bullshitting everybody to just give me an opportunity for an audition and to get a chance. And I got a lot of opportunities that didn't work out, but, um, you know, a few of them worked out along the way. And that, uh, that kind of led me to have that belief that maybe I can do this. And there were many times where I thought, uh, I should move home, but I never would do that, dude. I'm way too stubborn. So, <laughs> well, and that, so that's, yeah. probably, that's probably a big part of it. You know, being that kind of person who's out there just says like, just keep showing up. I mean, it sounds like it's one of those situations where uh, obviously family ties, talent, uh, a little bit of luck, but showing up, you know, showing up every day, I'm sure is an important part of it. Yeah, dude. And I always had, I always had this chip on my shoulder where uh, I didn't believe in luck because I always thought that like, if you believed in luck and somebody was lucky and the other person wasn't lucky, then that meant that there is this undefinable thing in the universe that some people have and some people don't. And that immediately puts you at an advantage or disadvantage. And I don't like that. I like thinking about how everything is on the same page. And it's just, if you work harder than that person, you're going to make it. But that isn't entirely the case. And it took me a long time to realize that. And until I booked Roswell and the events leading up to that and all the things that worked out in my favor, did I understand that, okay, maybe there's something out there in the universe that's a little little higher outside of my control than, uh, you know, than, than, than what I'm doing now, than what I think, how I think currently, which is that I can control everything. And that's just, that's just BS, you know? So once I had like the success that I really wanted, you know, obviously I'm working, I'm working hard to go a lot further, but kind of breaking in with, you know, being a series regular on a TV show, then I was kind of able to be like, all right, man, there's only so much you can do. You really have to leave it up to the universe is just kind of, uh, take you to that next step. Yeah, and I think that I think that makes sense. And I think it's really um, so many people struggle with, you know, one side of that or the other. Like, it sounds like you used to be that person who was like, you know, it's all about like what you have and what you bring. And then at the end of the day, it's like, you know, you you Google the, the credits after a movie and it's like half the people on there were cousins of someone that was already doing something. It's like so there is like that those random factors involved. But but certainly that idea of, you know, the talent and, and working hard, too, is is part of it. So there's there's that there is that interesting balance. And I. And especially within this field in LA, because I, 
I just can't imagine how many people are out there trying to do this. So, uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's. Uh, I mean, it's everywhere, and it's like, I mean, you go to an audition, and most of the time, sometimes the the audition room, the waiting room before you go into the audition, is very diverse, right? Like maybe they don't know exactly what type of person or look they want to cast in this role, but a lot of times they know exactly what they want. So if you're in there, there are literally 10 other dudes and then, you know, maybe a hundred other guys throughout the day that, uh, that are in this room or auditioning for this role that look exactly like you <laughs> or very similar. So it's like, Jesus, I'm I've, so replaceable. I've never thought almost about that before. Yeah. Just a bunch of yeah. hilarious. And those are just the people that got the audition. Those aren't the thousands of people with managers and agents who submitted headshots and didn't get called in. And then you got to also factor in the other thousands of people who don't have managers or agents who wish they had managers or agents to be able to submit to that role. So it is, it is, uh, it's very competitive out here. It's a very, very tough industry to break into. I, I, I kind of feel like it's uh, on par with the sports world and, and being a professional athlete, you know, because it does take a lot of talent, but it just takes the, the right moves, man. I mean, and making it in like the pros as a baseball player, going from like the farm league to, you know, single A, double A, triple A, the majors. I mean, that's how it is out here. People have careers where they do guest stars their whole life and they never break yeah. in the big play. You know, yeah. it's, it's a journey. And that's why, yeah, that's crazy. I mean, I remember like, you know, being from like my small town, like we'd have a one kid who would like go like past college baseball to the next level and we'd be like, he made it. And it's like, no, he's not <laughs> even close. Like he's still not even close to making it. And I'm sure it's the same thing with acting. I mean, people who you get a, a small show or you get a commercial and then, you know, it's like, it's, it's pretty hard even from there, you know, it feels like I'm sure you've done a lot and you have, but a uh, long ways to go, you know? <laughs> I mean, yeah, dude, I booked my first audition out here. Uh, it was a, it was a co-star role where I had a few lines on a date with Zoe Deschanel and new girl. And that was my first audition out here, never taking a class or anything. And I was like, Oh my God, this is so easy. I'm the man. I'm going to crush this. And then I didn't book for like a year and a half. And the next thing I booked was like a commercial where I was in it for like a second. Yeah. Yeah. Just like acting is a joke. <laughs> I got, I, I guess no. I got the jeans for it. Yeah. Just oh, <laughs> I was so naive, but that's what it took. If I wasn't naive, I don't know if I would have, uh, embarked on this journey because if you're a really practical person you have no business going for this because it doesn't make sense <laughs> and uh and, no i mean it, 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 that certainly seems like the case i'm glad that nothing possesses me to to have to do it because it sounds uh sounds exhausting <laughs> a little yeah, bit dude, soul beating down but um, instead you live in your van and travel the world dude that's not <laughs> exhausting either you know? so um I, i'm i'm curious i know with some, with some of the other projects you've worked on you know that weren't uh, acting specifically some of the writing and other stuff you've done were those projects ways to like get you ahead as an actor or were, were you kind of considering that maybe writing or some of these other things were actually the avenue that you wanted to take you know i i made a lot of short films as a kid uh growing up in uh in a suburb of chicago uh, you know I, I i got a video camera when i was in like third grade and every time there'd be a class project instead of doing a presentation or something i would I would pitch the teacher on an idea I can make a movie and you know most of the time I got away with that and I was really fat back then I would just make funny faces and I just enjoyed making people laugh you know but so you know I, I, I stopped doing that once I got to high school pretty much and then it wasn't until my senior year of college I got back into it but those early years I think were really informative of my storytelling capabilities and I think that's always been in the back of my mind is that I would like to be telling my own stories, not just acting in other people's stories. So 
I mean, yeah, I always knew that I wanted to be doing more than just acting, I think. But at the same time, dude, like, to be honest, everything that I made on my come up, and, and that's from sketches to digital series to short films to a film I made through Snapchat that ended up winning Tribeca in 2016, like just randomly on a fluke. All that stuff was out of desperation to make it as an actor. Okay. It was like, I don't know what else to do. Like, no one's giving me opportunities. I can hardly get an audition. Like, what, how do I, what do I do? And it's just like, okay, I gotta, I just gotta put my own money up, get, get some talented people together and, and I gotta write my own thing and go make it. And so it, it all stemmed from desperation. And a lot of the stuff I made never even saw the light of day. I haven't even released some of the, the thing that I'm most proud of this three episode digital series, which you've actually seen making it. Yeah, um, yeah. I've never released that. And I would really like to release that one day, but you know, and I'm really, really proud of it. And it was a, it was a great way for when I met someone in LA and they said, you know, what are you doing? I had that to send to them. And then it's like, right. Oh, okay. This dude isn't just saying he's an actor. Like most people in this town are, this guy's putting his money where his mouth is and he's going out and banking on himself. So that got me some respect and clout, you know, even though it never got released, it was something I could send to an executive or an agent or a manager, or somebody that I ran into. And then over time doing that, I realized that I do love it. I love the producing aspect of like putting people together, the right puzzle pieces to make something cool. I love writing. I've really enjoyed directing. I mean, yeah, but then, you know, when you're first out here and you don't have a solid job like Roswell, you're a chicken with your head cut off doing everything. So once I kind of put my hat in, uh, or I kind of tried all these different avenues, I realized that they're hard to do at the same time. Like writing, directing, producing, and starring in your own project is a lot of work. <laughs> Maybe it's okay to let other people do some of, wear some of these other hats while, while I just act for a bit. So, you know, the acting, um, the acting has been a focus and I feel like I've got a little bit of notoriety now on that front. I've, you know, I've got a ways to go, but I'm in a good place. And now this year, by the end of this year, I want to be really, I want to be considered as a, you know, a legit screenwriter in Hollywood. And I'm on, uh, I'm on the path to do that right now with a TV show I wrote, uh, with my writing partner. And then with my writing partners, um, two other films that are floating around too, that I wrote, uh, features. So the writing definitely has taken off and that, I mean, I didn't start writing really till I've always thought of myself as a writer kind of, you know, but and a storyteller, but I didn't really start writing, learning how to write a screenplay till 2017, you know, and all wow. this meetings and this success that I've gotten has been just literally honing my writing skills for the last year and a half out of desperation. Yeah. Well, and I'm sure, but I'm sure, I mean, all those kind of things too. I mean, but like to continue hustling in the direction, I mean, I'm, and I'm sure writing every, it's all part of a similar, uh, world and helps you understand, get that understanding and improve your craft in general. And, uh, I'm sure has translated into you being a better actor for it. I would imagine. Yeah, definitely. I think the biggest thing in like life is knowing where you want to go or what you want. Cause when you know what you want, I remember I read this book a while back, I forgot the author, but it was called the slight edge. And that edge in that book was this, this guy knowing exactly what he wanted. And when, when you know exactly what you want, it's on your mind all the time. It's in your vocabulary. When you speak to people, it's just your energy that you, that you put out there. And so, so knowing where I wanted to go, I, I was eating, drinking, sleeping, you know, dreaming, just, just film. And you get a little narrow minded and a little sidetracked. And 
you know, you lose, you stop. I, I, you know, there was a while where I wasn't discovering new music and I love discovering new music. There was a point where I had no idea what was going on in the world really, you know, aside from like just talking to people in hearsay, I wasn't keeping up on anything, but that didn't matter. I was a madman who would wake up every day and, and just figure out, okay, who can I meet with to get into this project? Who can I meet with to get an audition here? How do I get rep by this person? What can I write? What can I create today? What pitch deck can I have ready to go? What short film can I be shooting this weekend? Like, I just went absolutely crazy to the point where nothing else mattered in my life. I pretty much sabotaged a relationship that like a long relationship I was in because of it. I was very selfish, but you know, looking back on that, ah, it might've been, that's my path. That might've been what I had to do. Not everyone has to work that hard. Some people got it a little easier, but not, not me. You know, I had to, I had to throw everything at the wall and, and just see what started sticking. Yeah. And I mean, and I think, uh, I mean, it's, there's something, yeah, it's, it's, it's one of those tricky things, but it's, it's certainly a story that's told with a lot of high levels of success comes this kind of obsessive uh, behavior that becomes sort of restrictive. And a lot of times, I don't know, you hear those stories of, of, you know, relationships, social things, other, whatever, other things kind of falling to the wayside in this kind of obsessive pursuit of something. And, uh, it adds, it's, it's, uh, it's endearing and like admirable in a lot of ways. And it seems like the path that is taken to success in a lot of cases, but, um, certainly there's some costs, I guess, involved. And it's, uh, <laughs> sounds like quite the, um, quite the experience, but you know, at least, at yeah. least the TV show came at the end of it. <laughs> at this, I know. Thank God. But it's so funny because I think about it all the time. The TV show could have easily just not come and that's, and I would be in the same exact position I was in a year ago, a year and a half ago. Um, instead I'm in a whole new position, which is so weird. And because how much longer could you have continued that without a big break? That kind of becomes the question, you know, (laughs) like, right, right. uh, But I think that's the difference is that I would have never stopped. And that's, and that's what, and that's it. Will Smith's got in an interview. He's like, he talks about, he's like, he's like, I'm not the best. Like I've never been the best. The difference is if me and another guy get on a treadmill, I'll die on the treadmill. Like I will right. die running on the exactly. treadmill. Exactly. <laughs> like, exactly. Uh, yeah. It's a powerful, uh, yeah. It kind of gets you going. So, okay. So this, this kind of journey you've talked about, you know, I think a lot of people maybe can't personally relate to it, but they can uh, sort of maybe think about it, whether it's someone they knew or in a movie or something, this kind of struggle, this hustle, the artist getting somewhere. But now I guess I don't think a lot of people have any idea. What does it look like to have now that you have this show? Like, Give us an example of just flying down to uh, to Santa Fe to shoot this last season. Like, where did you stay? What did you do? Do you work nine to five? Like, what does it look like for you to be shooting a show? Dude, it is it is the best thing in the world, and it's also <laughs> exhausting. But it is the best thing in the world. But it it's a wild life, dude. I mean, imagine everything you know now about your life, everything you have, and then one day you just book a job that says, no, 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 you are moving here for six months and you're going to be working 12 hours a day, almost every day. And, uh, and then you'll get to go back, back home. And then you'll come back here again in six months and you'll do it all over, you know? So that one of the hardest things I feel like actors get paid so much money to just relocate and change up their lives and leave your families, leave your loved ones, it, it, it's such an interesting job in that uh, in that aspect where you really just get uprooted and your whole life changes. I mean, my life in LA, I live with a bunch of roommates in a fun house uh, in the middle of West Hollywood where there's all this action, great restaurants, nightlife, whatever. And then you get uprooted to Santa Fe, New Mexico, where <laughs> it's beautiful. Don't get me wrong. It's very beautiful. But like, 
I mean, the median age is probably upper 50s, you know, <laughs> maybe even more than that. It has to be more than that. I mean, my friends are like 65-year-old women I play pickleball with on the weekend, you know? Um, and I don't get me wrong, I love it, but it's uh, it was it's six definitely months and It was like you were there for that, that first season was six months you were there? Yeah, first season was six months. <laughs> Playing pickleball six, with the locals. Six months, you know. I got lucky, though, because one of uh, my co-stars who plays uh, Noah on the show, Karin Oberoi, we roomed together. A mutual friend of ours, another actor, um, Vinny Chibbers on this sh- new CBS show, Redline. He said that we would get along because so, he knew we were both going to be on the show. And so we lived together in like a two-bed, two-bath casita, which is like a small Adobe-style home in Santa Fe. And we lived, you know, probably like 15 minutes, 20 minutes from the studio, right in the plaza of downtown Santa Fe. And, you know, it was a great experience. That guy was very similar to me. He was the coolest roommate I could have had. Uh, we had a great time. But, you know, your, your typical day is you don't get your shooting schedule. I mean, it's wild. Okay, so, so the way it works is you get the script. And then you do a table read with the script. So all the actors sit down, they read their parts. There's uh, our creative producer would sit there and, and read the the action lines, which is pretty much the uh, the information that's happening in between lines, right? Like so-and-so gets up and goes to sit down. And then all of a sudden it's like Michael's dialogue. And then I speak. And so you do a whole table read, which takes about an hour, you know, what the episode runs, the length. And the showrunners there, producers are there, directors there, um, the director of photography is there. That's the person who shoots, sets up all the lighting and the camera shots and is in charge of that. So they can get an idea of how the episode flows. And so then once you do that table read, you pretty much go into shooting the episode the next day. Each episode, each like 46 page episode, they say about a page a minute in television and film. And with commercials, it's about a 45 minute runtime. Each episode shoots in eight days. And then like on the seventh or eighth day, let's say you're shooting episode two or whatever on the seventh or eighth day at lunchtime at like our half hour, 45 minute to an hour break, uh, you'll go do a table read. So you'll do a table read for the next episode. And if it's the eighth day and that's when you're doing the table read, you start shooting that next episode the next day. Wow. Yeah. So it's, it's nonstop, but luckily you're not in every scene. So you do get breaks, but when you do work, a standard day on set is a 12 hour day. If you're in all the scenes shooting that day, you're on set for 12 hours minimum. And is that, is that common? So like, I mean the top, you know, the three main characters in a show, I mean, I'm I'm sure they're all different, but is that common to be like, I mean, there's a few people that are in pretty much every, every scene, right? I mean, Janine Mason, our, the lead of our show plays Liz Orteco. Yeah. She's in every scene. (laughs) She was in everything. I mean, she, she's number one build on the show. She's in like every scene. I mean, she's just like, you're like carrying the weight. You know, you have to, as that number one person too, you have to show up to work every day, like gung ho, excited, just like amped with a good, you know, kind of a good outlook on the day. And that kind of sets the tone for everyone else. So you have to be a leader. And, you know, she really did that. And it was exhausting. I could see, I could see it getting to her towards the end. Um, you know, but only if you were like offset talking to her or something. When she was on set, that girl was on. But offset, she would just be so tired, and she you needed needed some breaks. I mean, it, it's it's very uh, a very stressful job, you know. But um, but it's a lot of fun because you're doing what you love. Yeah, um, yeah. The twelve. I mean, yeah. I, I didn't. I never really thought about that kind of. Uh, I mean, yeah, dude. I had a seven. We had a no, no. I had a sixteen hour day one time <laughs> because I have I have to get there an hour early because in the first season I have a. Uh, 
I have a mangled hand and that's an hour, hours worth of prosthetics on that hand every morning. And then it'd be another half hour to get that off after set every day. So that's 12 (laughs) hours plus like the hour and a half. And then when you're getting down to like, you know, we had to wrap by mid December of 2018 to be, you know, that was our, that was our out point. That's when everybody was going to be heading home. So they had to finish shooting all 13 episodes. So there would be a time where, you know, you're shooting episode 13, but there was a shot maybe because of a rain delay, we didn't get an episode eight. Oh. And then maybe someone was sick. So we didn't get this certain scene in episode two. So now we've got three or four different camera units on the studio lot in Santa Fe shooting a scene from each from episode two, 13 episode eight. So you're working with three different directors on the day. Cause it's a new director every episode because directors need prep time for each episode. And there's no way they could do all that prep going from one episode to the next, they need some off time and you're bouncing around and you're running around and, and trying to get all this done. And at that point, the studio is paying overtime. So they just need to get it done. So you're making a lot of money, which is cool. You're getting that overtime money, but you, you might be shooting like 16 hours and then you have to be back on set seven hours later. And then if you get, when you get home at that 16 hour mark, they might hit you that night saying, Hey, we had to change scenes for tomorrow. The order you're playing guitar in this scene and you're like, Oh shit, I didn't even learn the chords. I'm not even that good at guitar. Now, instead of getting this seven hours of sleep before set, I got to stay up for another three hours learning this guitar song and then going to bed, showing up, doing the guitar song, acting all day and then going to bed. So, you know, and that happened, you know, that happened to me. So there's a lot of moments like that. For the most part, they, uh, they protect us. You know, we have SAG, which is the screen actors guild, SAG AFTRA, you know, they, there's a lot of, uh, you know, there's a lot of laws and whatnot protecting us and our time and our rights and our turnaround schedule uh, from episode to episode of how much time we, we should get off before we re- report back to set. But, you know, when when push comes to shove at the end of the day, you, you want to make a good show and you want to be there for the team. And, and uh, you know, yes, you're getting paid that overtime money, but it also, you know, it's a lot of work. But they would they would come up to us on set and they would ask us to be like, hey, so we need to push you. We need to shorten your turnaround because you're supposed to have like a. 10 hour turnaround, I think minimum as an actor. So if you finish at like midnight or something you have to have 10 hours in between before you come back to set. But if you don't, you get like an extra thousand bucks (laughs) and they would like some actors, they've got a lot of money already and they've already been on shows and they were like, no, I'd rather like get the sleep. Like, please like figure out a way to bring me in later. Every time I was like hundred (laughs) percent, I'll get five hours of sleep. Just give me that money because I know what it's like to be broke, you know, and I don't want to be broke again. Yeah. No, take that money. (laughs) Yeah. I can't. Um, yeah, it's funny. You know, when, when you're like a kid, you know, you hear people say like, Oh, can you believe how much that basketball player makes? Like he gets paid that much to shoot a basketball and you kind of think it's crazy. And you hear the same thing with actors, you know, like what someone gets paid for a movie. And, um, as I get older, I realize I'm like, no, like that dude works really hard. <laughs> Dude's like, well, you, know, you don't think about like, this is their, like they've completely dedicated their life to this. And it's like, I mean, dude, I have to, I can't change my hair for the next three years. I can't <laughs> like, I shouldn't, I can't get a tattoo without asking the showrunner. Yeah, I can't, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's crazy. You get paid a lot of money, but like, think about also all the publicity I've done, you know, like they, I, I get, yes, they, they fly me to these places and all that, but like, I'm not getting paid to go sit, you know, on a panel for hours at a time answering questions about the show or doing interviews. Like I want to be doing all that stuff because it helps promote the show. And I want the show to be seen by as many people as possible. And you know, obviously that helps my image as a performer, 
But at the same time, I mean, like all that money you're getting paid, you are just walking and talking all the time. It's your character. Your life. I mean, they're paying show. you for your everything. Like, I mean, you're basically getting exactly. for everything you have. <laughs> um. that's, that's exactly it. That I'm a property of the CW pretty much. Luckily, I can go do other movies and I can be writing my own shows and all that stuff. But, you know, all that stuff, too. I'm supposed to be talking to the showrunner and kind of like communicating with her what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. I can't. Yeah. The, the hair and the, the hair and the tattoo stuff is funny. And that kind of, uh, one of the things you'd mentioned that I wanted to, to touch on the hand. So you're, uh, you know, in the, in the season, anyone who's seen it, your hand's pretty mangled. Like you have the, that, that you said it takes an, an hour to put that on. So every time you shoot, is that happening? Or is it sometimes like, all right, just keep your hand in your pocket. Like, is there ever a scene where they like, don't do that? Nah, every time, <laughs> every time, dude, every time I went to set, Wow. The hundreds of times or whatever it was. Yeah. I got it. I don't know if it actually, what, what was the, I'm trying to think what the final in six months of work, how many days I actually was on set. I don't, I don't know. That'd be interesting to think about, but <clears throat> yeah, I mean, our, uh, our makeup department was amazing. And the actual, the woman running our department, Blair Leonard, she uh, had never really done prosthetics. Weren't really her thing. So they flew in this guy Steve Laporte, who did all the prosthetics on on movies like Beetlejuice and all these huge oh, movies. Wow. And this guy's the man. He came in. He did like a mold cast of my hand, taught them how to do it every day, or just showed them how to do it. They recorded it. And then every day she just did it. So what started as like literally an hour and 15 minutes the first time we did it came down to like 36 minutes by six months in <laughs> you know so sh we got really good at it everyone's um getting better everyone's self-improving on the set <laughs> oh every day every day yeah so there was um yeah I, and especially myself as an actor and like learning you know I, i'm definitely the type that i like to make everything real when i'm on set like i don't i i don't like to think of myself as acting i just want it to be real if my mom is dying in a scene I think of my mom in Chicago dying and I make it real. My mom is, is she's dying right now. And I just convince myself that that's happening. And then I just have no idea what's going to happen on screen. I don't know what I'm going to, like, I know the lines, but I don't know how I'm going to say them. They just come out however I feel like saying them in the moment. But a lot of times when you do like a really hard scene, you know, before the scene, you're like really pumping yourself up, like getting in the zone, like, you know, putting so much pressure, like this has to be a big scene. I got to cry. I got to do this. And it's like, nah, dude, you don't have to do anything. It's all bullshit. Just like believe your circumstance. And if the scene says you have to cry here, you know, if I feel like crying, I'm gonna cry. And if, if, if you want to tear on that line and it doesn't come on that line, so be it. It might come somewhere else. You know, it's just like being comfortable enough to allow yourself to just be vulnerable in the moment and, and discover. And that's the coolest part about acting to me is that I never know what I'm going to do. I'm kind of a wild card at times, you know, and you know, cause sometimes if you yell in a scene, the person doing sound, he has to adjust his decibel level on, uh, on his recorder and he'll come up to you and he'll be like, Hey Michael, are you going to yell scream again on this take? <laughs> yeah. And I'll be like, dude, honestly, I have no idea. Michael, yeah, like, yeah, I, I don't, shoot, don't shoot, even shoot ask me that. I don't know what I'm going to do, you know, <laughs> but that's what makes it exciting. And I'm sorry to our sound department for that, but, uh, but that's what makes it exciting. But you just learn over, over time that just trust yourself. Um, the talent is in there as long as you've done your preparation and, and know that if you're talking about the sky being blue, how do you feel about the sky being blue? Does that excite you? Does that calm you? Does that keep you, um, does that make you think of, of the galaxies, whatever it is, you know, whatever you're talking about, you have to have an opinion. 
And uh, so pretty much, it, yeah, and an actor is just getting paid to express his opinions on, on screen, I feel like. But is that is that that sort of that shoot from the hip, like do what you feel, like don't cry when X says cry on the script? Is that your personal way to do it or is that something that like... Uh, That's my personal way to do it. Because there, um, I mean, there obviously probably isn't actors who follow a little bit more of a, of a formula, I would imagine. In that. Well, ex- oh, dude, tons of actors follow this formula of where if it says he sits down, they sit down. Or if it says he, like, in the script, he's... Yeah, uh, following the rules. Like, yeah, man, I mean, because... Which is, which is... It's hard to not follow the rules. You could read a script and it could say, you know, it could be like... Um, I don't know. It could be like, it, it, it could have a question mark at the end of a sentence. I'm trying to think of something specific, but there's like a hundred ways to say a line just because it has a question mark. doesn't mean I have to ask it in a question. I could say it in a matter of fact, but a yeah. lot of people get married to these punctuation marks. I mean, I heard back in the day that Christopher Walken, when he looked at his script, he would black out all punctuations. Oh, that's interesting. Listen to that dude speak and tell me that that guy pays attention to any period or comma or anything. Interesting. Interesting. Because once you're, I mean, granted, there are times where you need to take a beat. There are like moments that really need to land, but that should all be in your prep. You know, if you're telling your girl or that you love her and you've never told somebody in your life that you love them, obviously, I mean, maybe it's not obvious to that many people, but for me, I would take a moment there. Like I would be nervous. I would be scared of getting rejected. You know, I would, all that stuff plays. So I don't have to think about, oh, there was a period there. And in the script, it said, take a beat. It's like, no, I'm going to take a beat if I want to take a beat. Or I'm going to be like, I love you. Like, and it's just going to come out. Like, you never know. Um, but that's, <laughs> that's definitely just my style. Johnny Depp once said, I heard him say it at the Dolby Theater in LA. Uh, I saw a screening of his movie, Black Mass, uh, with the director. Um, and they were speaking and he said that, when he looks at his scripts, he doesn't even read the action. So there might be, you know, the action again, like I said earlier, it was yeah. like, you know, so-and-so gets up or he kisses her, whatever. He doesn't even read that because as an actor, why should he know what he's going to do? Interesting. That's fake. That's fake. That's not real. I don't want to know what I'm going to do. I want to feel compelled to kiss you. I want to co- feel compelled to yell at you. I want it to just be truthful. And once you have an idea of what you're going to do in a scene, there's no truth and honesty to it anymore because it's pre-planned. I mean, and I guess, and I guess to really, and really getting into your character, but knowing your, like who your character is so that you're not, you know, you're doing what Michael Guerin would have, would do in the situation compared to like what Michael Vlamis would be doing, I guess is also still kind of part of it. Like you need to feel that role to make those impulse decisions. Exactly. But the difference is, is that everything that Michael Guerin does in the show is what I would do. Michael Vlamis under the circumstances of Michael Guerin. So I am always just being myself under completely different circumstances. And that I think is, you know, people might think that that that's not like, Oh, you're not like transforming or whatever, but it's like, no, 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 no. I am because in this situation, Michael Vlamis would laugh and wouldn't be vulnerable and would hide how he's feeling. But in this situation, the harder, I always do the harder thing to do. So my acting teacher a long time ago, Sandy Marshall, she taught me that, you know, I would go in, if I had a really emotional scene with somebody, I would do what I would do in real life. I would like make jokes or laugh it off. I would deflect. But on screen, it's not interesting to deflect. What's interesting is to rip your heart open. And that's the hardest thing to do. But so when I'm there and someone tells me something very emotional, very vulnerable, 
I am just, I am just the most open human being I can be. And I let that affect me. And I let that hit me instead of like holding up a guard, like we have to do in life. If you walked around without a guard up in life, you would probably get destroyed a lot of the times. Your emotions would get ruined. And we have to, you know, I'm not saying people should be guarded. People should be open, but there are times where we need to protect ourselves on screen. I'm, I'm never going to protect myself. Interesting. But, but the way, and the way you said there, but like you're doing what Michael Vlamis would do in a different situation. Do you feel like, like you mentioned, I know this role is something that is something that you kind of related with. Do you feel like that's always going to be the case or will you, will you have roles in the future where it's completely unrelatable and nothing from your regular life can be pulled into it? Or is it always something that can, what do you think about that? I I will pull anything from my relatable dude. So it doesn't have to be the exact same thing, right? And it's not like, that's not me on screen. In a lot of ways, it is me on screen. There's a lot of times where, as the character, like in scenes where I my brother punches me or like someone hits me, and if I don't, there's times where I get hit and I don't hit back. In real life, I'm going to hit somebody back in the face <laughs> every time if they hit me. In the show, I can't do that. So I have to like stifle my impulses. So it is what Michael Vlamis would do, but it's what... Michael Blamis would do if he was Michael Guerin. Okay. So it's 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 always a character, but it is truthfully like who I am in that character. I'm never like it's never some like fake stuff. But you know, going back to going back to your your question, um, let's see. I'm I'm trying to think about this because so in the show, I want nothing more than like for my audition. It was a scene where I was talking about how I. Uh, uh, of the three aliens that that landed in the crash, I was the one. We all went into foster care. Nobody knew we were aliens. We just got found in a field, and you know, we uh, I got t- we got taken to foster care, and the only my siblings got um, they got adopted by a great family, and I got left there, and I went through the foster system, got abused as a kid, cigarette burns, pu- cigarette butts put out on me, and that's what Michael Guerin went through. Um, did I have cigarette butts put out on me? No, but did I have some adversity in my life from? playing sports and like thinking you're going to have a great season. And then all of a sudden a German shepherd attacks you and you can't play baseball that season. Like that happened to me as a kid. Wow. So, you know, I take moments like that and I apply them to the character. So Michael Guerin, all he wanted to do when I read the scene and I had the audition, all he wanted in that scene was to be back and reunited with his family in space. Yeah. All I wanted as that time, Michael Vlamis was to be reunited with my girlfriend of five and a half years who broke up with me because I was being a self-centered asshole trying to hustle in the industry. So when that happened, like I was broken and Michael Guerin, when he got ripped from his family and his home, he was broken. So I just brought that truth in my life to this character. So everything I do when people are like, what is your headspace? Like, how did you, how did you do this as Michael Guerin? Like, have I ever seen my mom die in front of me? Or, you know, and I don't want to give like spoilers away and stuff like that, but like, have I ever, have I, there's a lot of things in the show that I've never experienced in real life. But I've experienced something that's similar, and that's what I bring to the table. So to take to take those similar things and then kind of uh, you know maybe even make them more extreme, obviously, or adapt them. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it makes sense. And I guess, but again, I guess, like in this role, I mean, I, I guess, do you feel like do you feel like any role that you are equipped to take, like you ha- you're going to be able to call and modify those past memories to invoke those feelings, or is there is there like kind of a limit to that? Like, could you get in a situation where like you have no idea what this person would be doing or feeling. And like, I don't know, what would that look like then? I guess, what would you have to do? Well, Oh man. I mean, 
Dude, I, uh, this might just be me being, me being cocky. And I think that I can always, I'll always find a way in. Uh, and that, that might be a lot of research. I mean, I've, I've auditioned for, you know, being an autistic person before, you know, or I've played, I played a, uh, a Hollywood agent, um, in a satire with David Arquette and a few other notable actors, uh, in like 2017 where, dude, I'm not this, like, I'm not this, like overtly, like this guy was a sociopath in the short film. And obviously that's not who I am at all, but like, I know agents like that. And so I was able to just like, think about how they are. And it's like that person, imagine if I was that person, how would I be? So it's always just like, how would I be as that yeah, person? Yeah, because yeah. if it's always you, it's always truthful. That's I like that. That, that like Matthew really, McConaughey, yeah. Dallas buyers club. He won the freaking Oscar for it. You know, He's still Matthew McConaughey. He's just now a guy who has AIDS and is struggling with something that Matthew McConaughey will hopefully never have to struggle with. But if Matthew McConaughey was in that role, what would that look like? And then there are guys like Daniel Day-Lewis, right, who plays Lincoln and things like that. I haven't done something like that. I am terrified to do something like that, but very excited to do something like that, right? Like, I like doing things that scare me. But, you know, I don't know, dude. That's a whole other thing. That takes studying. That takes you know, learning new mannerisms, um, a new way of speaking. Uh, that is a totally different form of acting in my opinion. And that's something that I haven't done yet. Interesting. That's kind of, that's an interesting way to kind of, to, to contrast the two, because what you're talking about, like with what you're doing versus kind of that extreme method acting where like Daniel Day Lewis is in that character, does not leave that character, eats like that character, walks like that character and treats his wife like that character for a year or whatever. The difference there, I think that's interesting because when I think of an actor, like what you were talking about, that regular style of acting, I think of, you're like, okay, uh, your dog just died, you know, pretend to be someone whose dog just died. And it's really more of like, think of your dog die. I guess like putting yourself. Yeah. In yeah. Role. But it's, it's think of your dog. So, you know, I've had a couple dogs die. Right. So in that scene, I know exactly how I would feel, but okay. How does, let's say Michael Garrett, how would Michael Garrett right, feel? Right. And so here's the difference. What was my relationship as Michael Vlamis with that dog? What's Michael Garrett's? Did that dog drag him out of a burning building one time? Then all of a sudden that changes your response. <laughs> it might be even darker. Did you hate that dog secretly deep down? You know, did that dog like, you know, you, so it's, it's like, okay, how would I feel? But now I know how I would feel. How would this person feel in addition to that feeling? Yeah. 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 It's, it, yeah. It's, it really, I've never really thought about, uh, you know, I haven't spent a lot of time in the, the space of, of acting. So I've never thought about, it, but I guess it does. It, it makes, uh, it makes sense, but yeah, it's so much more complicated than geez, <laughs> I don't know, like anything, I guess that's, uh, that, you know, invokes a Dude, it's, high level it's, part. It's a weird thing, man. I mean, when I booked that that David Arquette short film for that, it was on Vice, um, The Big Break. When I did that, the director told me this can't be like Jeremy Piven, uh, Ari, and Entourage because we've seen that already. Interesting. And I didn't. I just nodded my head and I was like, "Oh yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely." Really inside, my ego and cockiness was like, "Of course, it won't be Jeremy Piven. I'm not Jeremy Piven. Right. I'm me. I'm me." So. I don't have to do anything to not be Jeremy Piven. If I don't do anything to not be Jeremy Piven, I will inevitably not be him because I am not him. Yeah. You know, that's how I think about it. And I think that's where people get lost in auditioning and in acting. And I think one of the biggest things like an actor can accept is that when you get an audition, you're not like you're you. 
and that's the most valuable thing you have, all of your unique life experiences. So bring yourself to the character because that's what's going to set you apart from the rest. When you see an audition and you read it, 90% of the actors going in there are doing it the way it says on, on the paper, right? They're asking the question when it says to ask the question. But you in that moment, would you ask that question? I don't know. And you don't know until unless you allow yourself to be free enough to just figure out what happens in the moment and just, just like staying moment to moment and just being an active listener and being present. So it, it's really just like bringing your unique ability and your unique uh, set of skills is your life and what you've experienced. And that, and that really does. And in like so many things that are competitive, it's like, if you just go in there and read that line, the way it's written and the way you think they, they want to hear it, unless you are, and then you're just relying on like your good looks or like the sound of your voice or something, you know, you're doing it the way everyone else is going to do it. So I guess that idea of kind of bringing that uniqueness to it. And I've heard you mention that before with like, when a script is given to you, you don't really know what they're looking for. And, and in some cases they might not really know what they're looking for. Right. I, mean, I feel like don't. most of the time they never know until they see it. Right. Like you never know until, until you see, it. I mean, we, we, I produced my first feature film last year and one of the guys who was starring in it opposite me was, uh, supposed to be this like really like pretty boy in shape, like really nice, like army hammer type guy that I was competing with over a love interest in the film. And we took a meeting with this guy, Craig Lowe, this Australian actor, who was all tatted up, a total like, like he's a comedic genius. He's like, he's, he's kind of an asshole in the way that he like delivers his comedy and stuff. And which is kind of like how I am too, right? Like I, uh, I like kind of like taking the piss out of my friends and just messing around because I like people ragging on me too. I think it's funny. It's fun. And that's how this guy was. And all of a sudden it was this, we never saw the character as this guy, but the movie I don't think would have worked as well if that guy didn't play the character because then all of a sudden it made two people who were like on, on the same page as one another fighting, going head to head the whole movie with this girl, you know, like we would have never saw that or thought to cast that until it was right in front of our face. And we were like, Oh, this actually works even better. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, and that's uh yeah. And that idea of them not even knowing, cause it's funny when I watch, when I watch, you know, Roswell with you, I, I just can't, I'm like, what if Michael wouldn't like, I swear you are playing that role exactly how it should be. It was meant to be, it was written to be, but because I know that your, your tendency to kind of shoot from the hip on things, it's curious because someone else would have done it completely differently. And it's hard to Dude, really imagine. Someone that. else would have done it completely differently. And I bet you'd be saying the same thing. That's, if they did it, if, if they, they did, did a good, good job and they were truthful, You'd say the same thing. I can't imagine anyone else in the character. It's just owning your space, you know. It's owning your space every second of every second of the scene. No, and you, uh, you know, and you felt, and I, I felt it, man, with your uh, anyway. Yeah, I mean, it's it's anyway. Really, Dude, big I think, fan of your I, role in that <laughs> that show. <laughs> I appreciate that, man. I think the I think the most interesting thing is when I'm playing that character, I feel like that's me. I feel like I'm this guy who's like in life. I have definitely whether I've been the underdog or not. I've believed myself to be the underdog because I like that feeling. I like like coming out of nowhere and booking a role when you shouldn't have been the guy. You're the unknown, you know? Like I like having that chip on my shoulder. It drives me to outwork people. It, it gives me that competitive edge. Um, but my showrunner says, of all the the actors in the show, I am the most different in real life than my character, which really? is so interesting to me because I feel like that's who I am. Interesting. But yeah. those are just those are just shades of who I am that uh, 
that my showrunner maybe hasn't seen because has my showrunner seen me blow up a car or like get enraged? No, because in real life we shouldn't be getting enraged like that. Right. But I have that in me, you know, I have that in me and, and I just let it out with this character. Yeah, it's interesting to be pulling pulling those yeah you know those like those minute parts from your life and then exemplifying them and kind of blowing them up and then using them on screen. Yeah, I mean it because it does it feels uh it feels you know definitely feels real and kind of within that you know we'll kind of wrap things up. I know it's got uh, but I kind of just because it's such a hot topic for you within your show your relationship relationships <laughs> what did that yeah. what did that kind of look like um you play a you know a bisexual alien it's not really much of a spoiler at this point but um. Right. What did that kind of look like for you? I mean, obviously, there's just so many people who have so many questions about that that I got to bring it up and kind of hear some of your thoughts on it. Yeah, definitely, man. I mean, I had never kissed a dude before. <laughs> I think I packed my buddy John McKay, another comedian out here, in like a funnier Die video back in like 2013 or something. <laughs> that was my um, only practice, huh? That was my only <laughs> practice, dude. But otherwise, I had never made out with a dude. But, you know, I just thought of it as a love story. And when I sat down and I met with Tyler Blackburn for the first time, I saw that this guy was committed. He's not some weirdo. He's a great actor who's very committed and, you know, was, was, there's more to be said for our relationship than just the relationship. And what's being said is that love is, um, love can be accepted in any capacity. Uh, it doesn't have to be man and woman, man and man, woman and woman, like, Love is just love. So if I love this person that I would never romantically love in real life, sorry, Tyler Blackburn, uh, (laughs) just because I'm not sexually attracted to men. But if I were sexually attracted to men, what does that look like? And I'm not. So when I look at Tyler Blackburn, I literally, I remember in the pilot, he's like bending over in a scene, like fixing his pant leg in one of the scenes when I walk in. I'm looking at that dude's ass and I'm thinking of the nicest ass I've ever seen on a woman and I'm falling in love with that ass. When I look at that, when I look at those lips, you know, the guy's got nice lips. I literally just try to find the truth and everything. I look at his lips and those are gorgeous lips. And that doesn't make me a homosexual for thinking that, but it just makes me honest. You know, like a man, no matter how like, men can be attracted to other men without wanting to sleep with them. I wholeheartedly believe that, believe that, you know, like there's a, you can even think a guy is just super funny. You always want to have him around or his knowledge for sports. You know, you're attracted to something about that person and attractive doesn't mean I want to have sex with that person. So I just find these, I found these just like really real, you know, truthful, I guess, qualities of Tyler Blackburn that, that I like tricked myself and to fall in love with when, when the, when the camera rolls, does that mean I, I can't feel his scruff when I'm kissing him and I'm, I don't want that because I don't like <laughs> scruff rubbing up on me when I'm kissing. I don't know how you women do it or men, you know, whatever your preference is, but dude, no. So, so, you know, there's always like, it, there's a learning curve and whatnot, but at the end of the day, dude, I just looked at it as another relationship. I kissed him the same way I would kiss any woman in my life. And I think that's what, like, that's why it resonates so well with people because I'm very passionate when it comes to romance and women and the women in my life. So that's what I brought to the screen and Tyler Blackburn's the same way. Yeah, no. And that's, uh, and that's, that's really what it, it, I mean, real, the word you use there making it real because, uh, that's obviously what it looks like. and feels like for, I mean, everyone. And yeah. And, and, and uh, dude, we, we had to make it real, man, because we knew this meant a lot of people, meant a lot to people. And the response I've gotten, I mean, I can't tell you how many direct messages on Instagram I've gotten from random fans saying that our performances in the show made them comfortable to come out to their family. Wow. 
Yes. So, and that was our goal from the beginning. And Tyler Blackburn even just came out a few weeks ago in a magazine uh, that he's bisexual. Oh, really? And he, that was something that he felt like he had to hide because he was the sex symbol on Pretty Little Liars. Interesting. Um, wow. With I think Ashley Benson. I think that was their uh, that was the actress that he was romantically involved with on that show. And you know, he's looked at these these teenage girls all over the U.S. and the world. They swoon over him, but like little do they know is that. This guy's bisexual and he feels like he has to hide that because he has to put up this like, right. keep this like wall up to be this like sex symbol. But so even the show, man, was like a launching platform for Tyler and his sexuality and him feeling comfortable coming out. So it really meant a lot to him and it really meant a lot to me. And I just I just wanted it. We wanted to do it justice. Yeah, no. And, and it certainly and, and it felt like uh, I mean, just watching it, obviously, it's uh, yeah, I mean, intense, real. Um, but the and then the love that you guys have gotten online and social media, like you mentioned, yeah, it's awesome. I mean, it's awesome. And it's, and it's, you know, and it's, it's just so cool. You were able to be a part of it and that you, uh, you know, getting this show after that whole grind and your whole story and, uh, to, uh, you know, to really knock it out of the park and have the, ex- the excitement of other people. And, and obviously because the second season is coming out, right? Yeah, man, I, I have no idea what's going to happen in the second season and too. When, so it's going to be interesting. And when, it, and when, so when can we, when are you shooting? When, when can we expect the, that? Well, I think we're going to start shooting again in August. We'll find out in about a week or two if it, how many episodes we're going to have and if we're going to be a mid-season, which is getting released in 2020, or if we're going to be a fall premiere, which is getting released at the end of uh, end of this year. So we uh, I don't know when we're going to be back on TV, but it'll either be probably sometime between like October and January again at the end of this year, and we'll start shooting. We'll find out how many episodes. We'll probably, I don't know. I don't want to say how many because I really don't know, but you know, 13 being away for six months. That was enough for me. You know, I mean, doing more, doing more is cool. You get to make more money and stuff, but it's not about, it's about having the freedom to live your life, you know? And I love what I'm doing out there, but, uh, but yeah, man, it's about being honest to the, to the storytelling. And sometimes with 22 episodes, you kind of, you're just like, all right, what do we do this episode? But when it's 13 episodes or 16 episodes and each one and yeah, yeah, it's a little bit more, a little bit more focused at times, but some shows they could just go on for days and never get boring, you know? And I think, uh, hopefully that's, that's what our show is. So no matter the episodes, I know we're going to be good, but I wouldn't mind, I wouldn't mind 13 episodes again. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it seems like, it seems like there's certainly enough kind of drama going on in Roswell to, to stir things up. I mean, I'm, ex- <laughs> I'm excited to see where it goes. They did a good job last season with some twists and turns and, uh, and yeah, so if anyone, if anyone hasn't seen it, so normally it's, uh, I was streaming on CW's website, but now it's on Netflix as well. Yes. Which is better because the CW website has a ton of ads, but <laughs> Netflix, yeah, Netflix, you could just binge it. Yeah, that's what it's all about. And so the one question that we didn't get into, and I think we, we touched on it so much with, um, kind of talking about your meth, your methods and things like that. But what would you say to someone who's maybe Midwest or somewhere else, not on, you know, not in LA, who's got this idea to come out and become an actor? Like what would be some little tips and tricks that you wish someone would have told you or that you might tell them? Oh man. Well, I think first of all, something that nobody told me growing up because I didn't know anybody in the industry is that, uh, it's possible. It's, you know, it's very, it is, it's very possible. Uh, you gotta be honest with yourself though. You gotta know if, if you're willing to put the work in, then I say completely risk it. I say, uh, I say, get that, get that ticket out to LA, get into classes, um, go on every single student film facebook page there is 
you know, like Chapman University where I went, they had a Chapman Film Connection Facebook group where people posted, you know, auditions for short films. And I would message every single person on there talking about like how I would love to come in an audition, how excited I was about it, just so I can get an audition and, you know, build that reel. You know, don't be afraid to break some rules. Don't hurt anybody, but don't be afraid to call on your own behalf, pretending to be somebody else to an agency <laughs> and say, hey, you got to look at this guy or this girl. Because if you believe in yourself, you're going to do stuff like that. So it's believe in yourself, know that it's possible, and put the work in. Become a great actor because even if you have all the hustle and the drive and everything, if you're not super talented, you might get that one shot. A lot of people pop on a TV show or a movie, but they don't go on to do that much. You know, And this is a, this is a career about longevity. And it's a long, hard, arduous career. So you got to be willing to put the work in. You got to be really good, but you got to know that it is possible and that you can do it. You know, that's the cool thing about acting. You, there's a role for everybody. I mean, look at, look at freaking Peter Dinklage on Game of Thrones, dude. How many Emmys does that guy have now? Like, Crushing what a it. beast, dude. What a beast. Yeah. To just, just know that, that he was worth it. He was good enough and he fully went for it in a world where, you know, I guarantee he felt like an outcast every day of his life. And now he is just on cloud nine. Yeah, no, he, uh, I know yeah, it's, it's every time I see him, but yeah, there's guess, uh, and I guess it goes back, like you said, you know, do bring your uniqueness, bring what you are to the table with those lines and what you're doing and, uh, you know, keep showing up, working hard and, and to find a place for yourself, I guess, or make a place for yourself. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Make a place. If there's no door, build a door or just bust through the wall just start kicking walls <laughs> kick your walls in <laughs> okay all right man well um well that was awesome i mean, think we got into a lot of good stuff today it was uh, it was it was really interesting again for those of you who haven't seen the show roswell new mexico it's on netflix check it out michael uh, again thanks for coming on the show man ivor thanks man i appreciate you having me